All right. Thank you, Thomas. So we're going to take a look at a passage tonight, and it's in Acts chapter 20, all about the leadership in Ephesus, as we continue to deepen our knowledge of this letter to the Ephesians, and even deepen our knowledge, not just of grace, but what grace is meant to produce in us. And because of the structure of the letter of Ephesians, we've spent, up until this past week, every single lesson simply uh, marveling at the wonders and the depth of what has been affirmed to you about the relationship that God has with you. And also, what has been made clear through Paul's letter of just how God feels about you and the lengths that he went to help make that perfectly known and how he's empowered you. And, and not only that, how he's now set you on a course that is so terrifically significant. And where we ended in Ephesians 4, uh, just this past week, was Paul says, I therefore urge you to live a life worthy of the calling by which you were called. And he doubles up on this word calling. Just as earlier, he said, the turning point in your life when you were dead in sin is when God, with the great love that he has for you, loved you. And those are the two big kind of passages in the book of Ephesians that serve as markers so far that we've read. Again, you were dead in sin, but not because of anything you've done. God, because of his great love, loved you. And he took you from dead in sin and made you alive in Christ. Amen. And not only has he affirmed you and chosen you and called you and adopted you and ransomed you, uh, he's, he's given you the Holy Spirit as a mark and a guarantee of all that's to come. You have real hope. You are His inheritance, His good and pleasing inheritance, and you have all the promises and the power within the Holy Spirit, all thanks to a God that decided to interrupt your life and make it abundantly clear to you His full mystery, the deep mystery that I'm going to save you by the grace of my Son. And it's, it's an astounding idea. And it's this idea that I'm going to so affirm you, just as he did his son. You are my son, Jamie, whom I love, God says, with whom I am well pleased. When you have an environment like that with a father that affirms you and makes it so clear, but doesn't just make it so clear, but that gives you all the equipping, my goodness, you're ready to run for God at that point. And it's at that point where Paul, of course, as we looked at this past Sunday, then does call us to run. I urge you then to, to walk, literally says, I urge you to get going, to, to walk through your life in a manner worthy, in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. So with that as a backdrop, look at these men who were called in Ephesus. And Paul spends one last moment with all of them. These are the Ephesian elders. Paul decides not to stop in Ephesus on his boat ride down through the Med, down to Jerusalem. And there are a variety of reasons why that might be. It might be that he, like some of your wives, have an easy time entering into Ephesus, but it might take him a really long time to get out of Ephesus. Or it might be, and this is probably really the reason, is that he is carrying a boatload of money with him. He's collected money from all the Macedonian uh, churches, the churches uh, throughout Galatia, 
And he's bringing that money because the saints in Jerusalem have, have been so destitute. And, and it might be just for the safety reason of carrying that much money. So what does he say to them? Hey, meet me down at an island just south of Ephesus, about a day's walk. Come on down there. I want to, and he sends word ahead of time. And this is the setting where he meets them. So starting in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. This is Acts 20, verse 17, in case you're wondering where we are. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. And by the way, at this point in time, what Paul has already made plain is that while he's been in the province of Asia, during the time when most people nap or lay low in the middle of the day from 11 a.m. till 4 p.m., that during that part of the day, because they have labored with a love of the Lord to make Jesus known, the entire province of Asia over those three years had heard the gospel of grace. Moving on. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of a severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. When Paul preached the gospel, guess what he preached? Repentance. How is the gospel good news without repentance? If you're still enslaved to sin after having received the gospel, where's the power in the gospel? That's an anemic gospel. But sadly, that's what's being peddled as some watered-down version of the blood of Christ in so many quarters today. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, what a focused life this is, my only aim, the rest of life is worthless. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul was called, called by Jesus, called to a great task. He probably thought beforehand that he had a rather significant life. In comparison to all of the things that he viewed as a pretty impressive resume, he now, in over five different places in Scripture, considers his past life nothing but garbage. And actually, the word that he uses is more akin to, to poop. That he considers all that he had to, to simply be feces in comparison to what I now have in Christ. And so no matter what, kind of disappointments come his way, it doesn't deter him at all because he knows that he lives for something much higher. And that by the grace of God, he's been a man who's been able to lift his sights from the myopic living of an ordinary life to an extraordinary one. 
Guess what? You've been called to that same calling. You no longer have to live lives, as Thoreau says, of quiet desperation. Or as Roosevelt says, you are no longer among those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Suddenly, you've got a real mission. You are men that have been given a commission by no one less than Jesus Christ. And you know what? It may have been a a rough week at the job, but it may have been a rough week at the job for everybody else at that job. For them, they ought to be devastated because all they've got is their resume and their performance review. You know what you've got? You've got a higher calling. You've got a significance that eclipses the smallness of life that everyone else is running around chasing their tail trying to get a little bit better at. Doesn't matter how nasty your management is. Doesn't matter how oppressive your directors are. Doesn't matter how ungrateful your customers are. Any of that. None of that matters because you are an agent of the gospel of grace chosen by God for that very purpose. For me, while I'm, I, I am astounded by all the aspects of grace, you know, the fact that I was just sinning it up, I was a filthy, filthy, empty, yuppie of a worthless human being, and yet God intervened in my life, thank you, God. But the fact that not only does he save me from the damnation that was heading my way, but then he gives me real significance in my life. I'm a guy that was always searching for that. I would sit down and write mission statements and vision statements and th- throughout my 20s. I would, I would chart out on graphs uh, you know, the different arcs of my life and the things that I thought I would accomplish. And all it was was just sort of me trying to puff my own self up with my own ideas. And in the end, they were all vanities compared to what it is that Jesus intervened and showed me. Well, I think of the grace of God that I'm actually a man that matters on this earth. And we all are that and then some. That I remember for the first time reading the calling that was ours. Seeing Jesus as not only as he called Paul, but as he called Peter and Andrew and James and John. And to, to think of them as men who formerly had been passed over for anything significant. Sure, they had their their family business, but no rabbi ever looked at them and and thought them worthy of a calling. And so they weren't with a rabbi. They were not disciples of anyone. And then the ultimate call, the rabbi of rabbis, the rabbi who ended up beating up all the other rabbis in the Temple Mount, in the triumphal procession, that rabbi stops and looks at those that were picked over and passed over and looks them right in the eye. Matthew, the tax collector, even Zacchaeus up in the tree, James, Simon, the zealot, each of those who had no thought that their lives would ever amount to anything rather significant other than just keep on keeping on in the grind of of following in the family business and all of a sudden stops them in their tracks and says, Come, 
follow me. I'm about to make your life significant. And when Jesus called us all to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've ever, everything I've taught you, commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I remember reading that and, and actually getting goosebumps. As lost and hard-hearted as I was, the Holy Spirit had already begun to work on me. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is the meaning of life. Like, this is the, the, the greatest expression of how we can have a life well-lived. To actually be used by God to equip people for nothing less than eternity. And perhaps affect their entire family. And then their generations after them. An untold number of children that would have undergone all kinds of terrible situations and abuses and whatever. All of a sudden, all that is being eradicated just by me in, in some stumbling, bumbling way, being able to be commissioned by Jesus and make a bit of a difference. Brothers, when we think about the grace of God, this is a huge aspect of it. We ought to sit here feeling honored that, that we were deemed so worthy that the Holy Spirit persisted in convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment to the point where you finally recognize the depth of your guilt, threw yourself on the mercy of the court with godly sorrow, repented and received the salvation that he wanted before all time to help you to know. And the salvation is not then to sit you in an easy boy lounge and have you, you know, exercising your thumbs in front of a video game. Why? Because you've been called to something so much bigger than that. While all your coworkers, the greatest thrill that they can know is virtual. The wildest battles, the most intriguing adventures that they will ever live are merely exercised through some sort of a joystick. And that's it. That's sad. But not you. Not you. By the grace of God, you sit here as men with a mission. And I said it before. You're plan A. And there's no plan B. That's how significant we are. The one and only plan to be able to help people know the greatest truth there is. And what Paul says, I consider the rest of my life nothing, worth nothing, to just finish the task the Lord has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Let me read on here in verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Again, he does not hold back. He gives the whole counsel of God. He makes sure that they understand that the good news is about turning to God in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not hesitate in any way, did not shrink back at all. The word there is actually not just to shrink, but to actually cower, to, to literally to, to duck uh, as though afraid of something. And Paul stands firm 
no matter how many rocks were slung his way, no matter how many hordes of, of persecutors were, were coming after him, whether they be Greeks or Jews, Paul stood his ground. Why? Because he knew that he was standing on a firm foundation, a foundation on the gospel of grace, having been rooted and established in love, as he says in Ephesians. And so he says, Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated, not cowered, to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That's how we sit here. We've been ransomed by nothing less than the blood of Christ. He shed his own blood for our souls. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I'm not covered anyone's silver, gold, clothing. You yourselves know these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Wow, I was right. And how sweet it must have been to have received that letter with that kind of a parting. And the next thing to, to have in their hands, these wonderful words of the gospel of the grace of God that Paul had given to them. The gospel that had spread throughout all of Ephesus, not just the city of Ephesus, but the entire province of Asia. Everyone heard. Why? Because every one of those men lived a life worthy of the calling. They recognized the worth of the calling and the worth of what their life was before. And probably stood a bit taller and a bit more proud in a good sense that I live for something bigger. And I have a bigger yes. You are men that if other men understood what you have, they would give all they had to be able to know the, the honor that you have before the heavenly realms. Seated already in the heavenly realms, you are now equipped with nothing less than God the Holy Spirit to make a difference in this world. You know, I thought, ah, the men are together. Maybe we should do a lesson on purity. Bag that. We're men and we're plan A and it's time now for us to get out and make the most of this calling by which we've been called. To make the most of this power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that now empowers us to let the blood of Christ, which redeemed and ransomed every one of us, count for something remarkable. And with eyes full of gratitude and compassion for all those around us to overcome any sort of cowering that might even be considered knowing all that has been affirmed in us again and again and again, all that is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit 
and to, to recognize I am bigger than any of this cowering. That God, as he sees me, my identity is one that it would be ridiculous for me to cower. And there's one last thing I want you to contemplate tonight. Because it talks in Ephesians 4.1 of live a life worthy of the calling. Paul here says, I do not count my life worthy. My life worth nothing to me. Only this, the calling, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I want us as we get into our groups tonight, just to, to, to simply talk about two things. One is, what is it that you might attach more worth to than the calling that you've been called to? And then after you've talked about that for a moment, and we're not going to dwell on that, uh, on that downside for too long, is then to really share with the brothers, and for all of you, to, to really then establish how worthwhile, what is the worth of this calling to which you've been called? And, and how should you value the worth of this calling to which you've been called? I'm sure if we keep that in mind, we're going to be able to run through walls for the sake of Jesus. Yeah. To, to, to not allow anything to cause us to step back, much less even cower at all. And, and I know that we don't. I, I really do. But I think sometimes we can lose sight of, of the worthiness that we have been called to. And let just kind of all the stuff of, of, of sight just kind of distract us from the really unique and transcendent men that we are in Hampton Roads. So let's, uh, let's go have a, a prayer right now and then we'll break to our, our Bible talks and be able to share a bit. But, uh, Paul, I'm sorry, Bill, would you mind closing us in prayer?